My, my life verse is Ephesians uh, 5, 1 and 2. To be an imitator of God, it says. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Man, we're so loved, aren't we? Come on, are, are we not so loved? I loved what we were singing this morning. I mean, he doesn't treat us as our mistakes and our blunders and our stupidity deserves. You know, somebody was laughing last night still on Facebook that... Peter chopped off an ear and then, you know, why am I so impulsive and uh, what's my problem? And, and, and a lot of us, we, we really get bummed at ourselves. But if we keep making that ever gradual lean of our lives to love him more and to love the person near us, he'll keep helping us even when we trip and fall. So when it says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and his love is so perfect to be imitators of his love as dearly loved children and live a life of love and live a life of love and live a life of love. Would you say that phrase with me? And live a life of love. One more time. And live a life of love. And it goes on to say, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So who was Christ loving on the cross? Some people say us, but other people say no. He was doing this, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, God the Father, and loving us. He was love in the middle. Because it says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, could I love you a little bit more? Not my will, yours. If you've got a Bible or you want to open up your electronic, if you look at Psalm 139, you've got to trust. I have to trust. We have to trust in the God who made us and can employ and use us all of our stuff and, and really all the uniqueness factors about us. If you're at Psalm 139, verse 1 says, Oh Lord, you've searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in before and before, behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Whew, this is just too wonderful. Knowledge too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then this one after God's heart said, For you, verse 13, created me. My innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I watched a mother's womb of one of our forged speakers this morning. He, he took a picture, a shot from, from up here, and, and you were seeing just this, this baby's ready to come out. And literally, I'd never seen anything like it. You just see this little foot and this little hand like, like pushing, you know. It's like, this, this baby is ready, <laughs> kicking around in there. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You're known by him. I praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. And you are. In fact, uh, when you get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, 
Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, in, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Not just the songs you sing, your whole self, your whole being. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The guy who wrote Psalm 139, he was really giving us superb advice because he knew what it was like right out of the gate to be unique, to be different, to, to not be like everybody else. It started happening for him awfully early. I mean, he was one of these sort of young Renaissance men, guys who, who like he liked to play music, but he, he also was an athlete. I mean, he just loved to hang out sometimes with his harp out and play a little bit to God and other times do target practice. I bet I could hit that limb, you know, if, if I just pulled back that limb, I'm aiming for that limb. Whoa, I did it, I did it. I mean, he got so... Uh, jazzed, I think, about the uniqueness, the way he was made. Some of you, you felt God's pleasure when you run or when you shoot hoops or, or when you're helping somebody medically or, or you're crunching numbers. Like we have a gal at our office, she's in our bookkeeping department. She came as a student through our summer experience for young adults from the state of Florida. And what she discovered that summer as we were talking about ministry that's as unique and distinct as you are is crazy enough toward the last week our CFO came in and taught a class on ministry and finance and personal finance and how to stay out of debt or get out of debt and she got all jazzed up because she loves numbers her whole life she said when I was a little girl and they started bringing numbers into the classroom everything in me came alive I got that's me that's me you have felt moments in your life that have felt like you so think about what it felt like for David when he knew who he was intrinsically it was there was a high awareness in him and his dad told him, well, you're delivery boy today. You're going to take lunch to your brothers. So, so he's the delivery lunch boy, and he takes lunch out to the battlefield where his brothers are supposed to get food, and he brings that food out to them. And as he puts it, because he's responsible, he puts it with the keeper of supplies. This is all a story that's told in 1 Samuel 17. Puts it with the keeper of supplies. He puts his stuff, and then he delivers the lunch he, he, he starts hearing this voice out in the valley, screaming out, like just making fun of the armies of Israel. He gets ticked. He's angry. And, and, and it, it upset him so much. I mean, he knows who God is. He's been singing to God. He's been having relationships. He loves it. He does not like this dude who is speaking this way about the armies of the living God. It doesn't make any sense to him. It's an inequity that, that needs fixed. So he starts talking pretty big because he has a big God to defend and he cares about and loves God and wants God's glory to be, to be understood and known. So David, uh, he talks so big about it, like, what, what are we going to do with this guy? You know, and, 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 and somebody needs to go out and he's, he's, he's charging us, let's, let's do it. You know, he's talking like a little kid like who's brave, you know, and his brother Eliab said, David, what are you doing here? You ought to be back home with dad and the sheep doing your thing there. We're the soldiers. Go home. But David wrestled in his heart. God's glory was at stake. We've been praying a prayer at Forge for a long time. We want more of God, more of his will, and more of his glory multiplied. More of God, more of his will, more of his glory multiplied. Say it with me. I want more of God, more of his will 
more of his glory multiplied, more of God, more of his will, more of his glory multiplied. Well, that's what David wanted. And so when Eliab tried to shut him up, he just went and talked to some other people like, this is wrong, this is something that needs to happen, he's burdened, he's wrestling in his heart. So he goes and talks to some others, and the next thing he knows, he's in front of Saul, and Saul needs somebody who's willing to go out, and I, he's just a punk kid, but, but hey, I'll strap you up with everything that you're going to need to do it. And so he starts strapping him up, puts his armor on him, and gives him everything that a typical soldier would go out to fight with. Thank goodness, David intrinsically understood his own uniqueness. And after it all got on, it just didn't feel right. It felt heavy, it felt awkward. It wasn't him. And he shed it off and said, I, I, I can't use these. He might have been told, well, it's ridiculous to think that you could, you could be the answer, the solution to this situation with what you're thinking will work. But I think as he took his slingshot and he just started picking up stones, he was having a God conversation. We have those. You know, when we live by faith, not by sight, we have God. That dude, that's wrong. I don't know how to do this. I mean, nobody thinks that this will work, but um, I'm going I'm to, you know, which stones here, God? Which stones? And grabs his stones. And as he walks toward the giant, in 1 Samuel 17, if you want to turn there, it's just kind of fun to just, just look at. In 1 Samuel 17, I thought I had it protected here. Let's go. <laughs> 1 Samuel 17. I must have taken my marker out. That gives you a chance to take the time to find it. David said, verse 45 of chapter 17, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, <laughs> and I'll strike you down, and I'm going to cut off your head. I mean, imagine this, and I'm going to cut off your head, and today I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He's a punk kid with a slingshot. But you make unique ministry that looked like him got the job done. I want to talk to you this morning about you. You. Unique ministry. When it looks like you, as distinct and unique as you are as a person. When I met my wife, I, I was a single pastor in this community, south of here, and uh, and, and, and people wondered if I was looking, and yes, I was looking. I had one college professor when I was going through college, and I was making my way toward the end. He said, man, Dwight, you need to pick one, and fast. You know, they're, 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 they're getting all taken, and, and you better find one. And I said, well, I, I can't find the right one. I mean, I'm looking for the right one, the best one for me. And, and he said, well, just pick a spare tire. There's spare tires all over the place. And I said, are you crazy? And I, it was very crass. I didn't like what he said, and I, I had a hard time getting over it. I had to work it through, and forgiveness came came to my heart, and I love this guy to this day because I think he was just seeking to help me, but I was waiting, and I waited a while, and I waited a while until the one who was really the right one came into my life, and I was ready to introduce her to the church, so I brought her to the church, and, and I didn't know it was going to be dangerous. I mean, I didn't know there was going to be an inquisition. Uh, I brought her to the church and, and uh, introduced everybody, and then three little ladies pulled me over in the corner. Pastor Dwight, 
does does Dawn, um, who you're considering, does she play the piano? I thought that was a stupid question. Um, but they had in their minds this idea that if she was going to be a pastor's wife, she ought to be able to play keyboard. And I said, no, no, she doesn't play the piano. And this little lady said, oh. And the other little lady said, well, can she sing? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think publicly, like up front. And that little lady said, oh. And the other third little lady, she said, well, I bet she's, she's a good speaker. She could speak to all the, all the things that you're going to. And she could speak to all the, the women of our church. And, and it would, I bet she's a speaker, isn't she? She can't play the piano. She can't sing. But she probably speaks. And I said, no, she's made that real clear. She's not an upfront speaker. That terrifies her. And all three of those women went, oh. When I married Dawn... I just so wanted them to know that she was just awesome and unique in her own right. But people kept trying to strap on Saul's armor under her, and, and it was unfair. They didn't understand that God has a unique plan for all of us. And so in the first year of our marriage, I showed up to speak for a convention. They took us to the VIP registration portion of the line, took us to our very nice accommodations. And my wife sat in a very comfortable chair making her way through the VIP packet for the conference when I heard her gasping for air. I thought, what is she, what, what, what's the deal? I turned over and, and I couldn't figure out what she was gasping for air about. And she, <laughs> and she pointed and I looked and... There was her name to speak to all of the conference women the next day. She asked me if I could explain how that had happened. And I said, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know how that happened. I, I know our Forge office didn't do that. I don't know how that happened. It was a presumption on their part because you're with me. You could do this. She said, you know, I'm so tired of this. You know, everybody wants me to be a speaker. Uh, may, maybe I need to try uh, I said, no, you don't, I'll get you out of it. It's okay. We'll, we'll make arrangements. It'll be fine. She said, no, it's already, it's already printed. They've all seen it. They'll think I don't love God or love them. I need to try. So she stayed up half the night trying to prepare something. The next morning, she, I get up early, and she'd already been up, and she was still working on it. She, she was shaking when she went to go out the door, and I said, honey, we'll do role reversal. You're always praying for me. I'll be on my knees right here, and I'll just stay here until you come back through that door. It's all the women. I can't go anyway, so here, I'll be right here, and I'll be, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be hanging tough for you. You'll be fine. An hour and a half later when she came through that door, I just couldn't. I was, I was, I was done. I was tired of praying. I just thought, it's, it's fine. And, and, and she walks through the door, and I said, oh, so how'd it go? I should have looked at her countenance. She looked back at me, and she said, well, before I left, I knew I couldn't speak, and now they know I can't speak, and I hope they tell the world I'm not a speaker. And I said, honey, it's okay, it's okay. Well, her first child was born, and at this point, she was going, I've always loved to bake. That's ministry that looks like me. I love to bake. And she sat there in her kitchen thinking, God, how can you use who I am? 
And, and I came home from work and she'd made a bunch of invitations and she'd walk the neighborhood all afternoon and she'd been stopping at doors. Hey, I'm Dawn Robertson. I live in that house down there. I know a lot of us in suburban Denver, we don't know each other, but, but I love to bake. I bake every day. My husband says if I keep baking this way, it's going to kill him. So I, I'm going to put all my baked goods from this week onto my dining room table on Saturday. And I wondered if we'd like to know who each other are because we kind of wave at each other, but we don't know. We might need each other at some point. So if you want to come to my house I'll have baked goods all over my dining room table and and we'll get to know each other well that afternoon I was take our daughter uh, away while Dawn was gonna do her ministry she asked if I put my hands on her like James the roofer put my hands on her and pray for her before uh, I left so I did I, I placed my hands on her and I uh, prayed God use Dawn's ministry I remember specifically that day and when I got back an hour and a half later, expecting all the women to be gone, um, they were all there, talking at high decibels, having a great time. And I called Dawn into the kitchen. I said, hey, listen, are, are, are they going to, like, it's, it sounds like it's just started. She said, no, they're having a great time. Listen to this. This is what I prayed for. They're, they're loving it. They're having a really good time. Here, here's a, here's a video. You just show this to Dara. She'll be fine. And, and so I took my daughter down. She said, it'll give you a half hour. So, so we got another half hour going down here. And I came back up to the kitchen a half hour later. And, and there's no sign of quitting. I said, honey, uh, uh, it's been several hours now. She said, well, well, give me another half hour. Here's another video. And threw in another video. It had started at 2 in the afternoon. By 6 p.m., I called my wife into the kitchen. I said, honey, this has got to stop. She said, I know, but look how good it's going. She went back in the living room, and she said, hey, ladies, listen. Um, <laughs> I, I decided if you were having a good time, I, I bake all the time. I'd love to do this. And, and she said, almost all my baked goods are gone. She said, listen, I, I, I want you to know if you got people at home wondering where you're at, why, uh, you know, it's 6 o'clock now. They were shocked. They looked at their watches, couldn't believe how much time had gone by. She said, I've got a book we could go through on how to be better wives and better moms. And if you'd like, we could, just, we could meet on a regular basis and, and do that. Nine out of the ten women began coming back to our house regularly. And as they did, Amber began to give her life to Christ. Another mother began to put her marriage back together. Another mother took her two children and began to go to church, something she hadn't done since she was a little girl. But I'll never forget the night we'd had our second miscarriage, and it had been a very difficult evening at the hospital. We got home late, and I was tucking my wife into bed when the doorbell rang. And I went downstairs to open the door, and there stood Ashley from Catacorner from our house, and she had baked goods in her hand. They didn't look good. They didn't look as good as my wife's, but they were baked goods. She was trying, and I gave her credit. But she, as I opened the door, she put them in front of me, and she said, I heard, I heard what happened. And she started to cry, and now she began crying, bawling so loudly, just that, that I knew the neighborhood was waking up. I thought people are going to start looking to see what's, going, what's the ruckus on my front porch. And, and I get, it's just me, I'm a man. I get nervous when women cry. I don't know what to do. And I said, Amber, come in. Uh, just here, Ashley, sit down, sit down. So, so Ashley sat down and I, I raced upstairs and said, Dawn, I, I, I don't know what to do. Ashley's downstairs in the living room and she's sobbing her eyes out. And, and she, I don't know why she's crying that hard. She's just sorry and she brought us baked goods. And when my wife put a robe on and went downstairs, she was perceptive enough to know that the tears that Ashley was crying were not about our loss. They were taking her back to a dark secret and a painful day in her own life when she remembered being at a hospital 
And as my wife, perceptive enough to know that this was about Ashley's grief, spent the next hour with her. In the crucible of her own pain, my wife held Ashley's hands and they prayed together as women. And when Ashley left our house almost at 1 p.m. or 1 a.m., I turned to my wife and I said, Honey, do you understand? There's not a minister or a clergyman on the planet. There's not a missionary who could have had the ministry you just had with Ashley. You prayed your way into her life. You baked your way into her life. And now through your common suffering, you've earned your way into what she was ready to open her heart up and share with you. When I think about Ephesians 2.10, find out, and you have, I've watched you, find out that you're God's workmanship. And you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for you to do. But what would that look like? Look at your, look at your fingerprints, your thumbprint for a minute. Do you know that that those distinguish you as the only human on the planet that, that has that DNA? I mean, that if you are somewhere and, and those fingerprints are there, a criminologist can go, she was there, uh, he was there. I mean, that's you, that's you. You have a ministry fingerprint. If God cared that much about your physical fingerprint, he cares that much about your ministry fingerprint. What does that look like when ministry isn't clone copy ditto? It's not Saul's armor on you. It's not you trying to be somebody you're not. My wife's ministry over the years has been phenomenal for me to watch. And at church, I was a pastor for 10 years before 31 years with Forge Kingdom Building Ministries. So I remember you'd come to a guy like me in those 10 years and you'd say, I want to do something for God. And I might ask you, well, well, can you sing? And you go, no, in the shower. And then I go, well, no, we're looking for, oh, I whistle. No, we don't have a whistle worship band. Um, well, well um, do you, uh, could you teach a Sunday school class or a children's group? No, I'm not an upfront teacher. Uh, that's not who I am. Uh, well, could you uh, maybe help us on one of the church committees or the board? And, and some of you would say, no, I'm, I'm right brain. I'm not administratively gifted. I'm, I'm not those linear people that think everything in sequence. And, and so then probably as a pastor, I'm going to say, could you help in the nursery? And you might say, no, I'd probably accidentally drop a baby. And, and so then uh, I'm going to ask if you can help us park cars. Because the two hours a week as a pastor that I'm trying to make sure we're ready to serve requires a certain set of gifts. But what do you do with the other 166 other hours of the week when it looks like you? God wants to employ your whole life. So for Jason, who's an athlete, he understood God wants to, God wants to employ my talents and hobbies. So Jason, as now a young coach, he prays through his roster like a pastor praying through his parishioner list. He said, I pray by name for them like I'm their dad because for some of them, I'm the only spiritual dad. They have no one's ever uttered that name on my athletic roster before. While Dana graduated with a nursing degree and Dana at her hospital, she prays on her way to work and as she gets into her section of the hospital, she thinks of those people as her congregation. She's their minister. Jesus, as my feet, who bring beautiful news, the good news of you, Jesus, you're alive in me. If you want to help this patient in any certain way, 
I'm your instrument. Jesus, she'll look down through who's on her charge that day and she'll pray for them. And then as she makes her way to their rooms, she knows many of these people don't have a church building they've ever attended. She is a mobile ministry delivery gal. And Dana, the nurse, walks into that room knowing that she is the mobile church bringing Jesus to that patient. I could tell you story after story of of Steve, the fly fisherman, who said, Dwight, do you think God could use my, my fly fishing ability? I'm really gifted, and everybody always wants to teach me how to, uh, wants me to teach him how to fish. And I said, hey, Steve, you, listen, there's a, there's a story in this book. It's like a fishing story. It'd be like front page of Field and Stream. It's awesome. I mean, Jesus got involved with somebody in a fishing expedition, and, and it turned into something magical. And, and listen, maybe so. Steve took his first guy fishing on a mountain stream in, in, in uh, Colorado, he came back, called me on the phone, said, get over to my house fast. i got to tell you what happened. I didn't know there was so much time to talk on the way up to the mountain stream, talk over our fishing poles, talk on the way back. The guy unpacked his whole life over a fishing pole today. No wonder Jesus used fishing to get up close to Peter. It was amazing. He said, you wouldn't believe it. I think I might have a ministry. He took another neighbor. And the next thing I knew, Steve had come up with a ministry called Life on the Fly. You know, he just, he's got a website. He, he actually asked if he could have an office at Forge so, so he could have a place to kind of set up an international website. Anybody who wanted to come to Colorado and learn how to fly fishing. Steve said, that's my ministry. It's ministry that looks like him, while Scott, a company president who leads Formula Boats in northern Indiana. Scott said, Dwight, after he read play, he said, I, I want ministry that looks like me. I have all these employees, and I'm going to hire a couple chaplains to come into my company. They're going to be employees, and I'm going to make them available to people who are having problems or, or want to talk or somebody dies in their family, and they don't have a minister or a pastor. They've never had one. And he said, you cannot believe the ministry that's going on in my company. I'm a company CEO, but Dwight, God is doing amazing stuff. Or yesterday, I took our 10 staff members. If you want to meet with any of them after chapel and go, how would I discover what ministry is that looks uniquely like me? They'd love to visit with you, talk with you. Yes, every summer we spend time. I, I saw Stephen Furtick's name up here on the screen. I remember when Stephen was one of our students and he'd written the, the last course. He's a pastor who took two other experienced students we spent a summer with and started a church in Charlotte, North Carolina that's ministering to tons of people around the nation. And, and, and Stephen preached his first sermon and sent it to me and, and he said Dwight what do you think he called me he was so excited and I said I think it sounds like Saul's armor not your slingshot and I think your slingshot's more powerful than Saul's javelin and armor and, and, and it broke his heart for a minute but then he wrote a post and said I'm going to find speaking that sounds like me that looks like me and he's impacting millions today as a result I took our staff to a house in South Marion where a little lady named Grace Anderson lived she said, late in her life, what, what, what do you think ministry would look like that looks like me? I just, I raised five boys in this farmhouse. It's just across from the adult education learning center uh, 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 south of our campus here. And, and, and Grace prayed and she saw a letter from a prisoner uh, to a, a magazine editor saying, hey, I gave my life to Christ at a prison crusade, but, but I need somebody to help me grow. Do you know a grandmother type person out there who would write to me in prison? Grace wrote her first letter to a guy named Paul. She never knew that if she wrote that letter and she'd get a letter back, he'd ask her Bible questions. So she'd send him Bible verses to look up. And he started doing the Bible look up with his, his roommate named Bob. And, and the next thing she knew, she was sending them uh, things to look up every day so they'd be in God's word every day. And Paul and Bob started a cell block Bible study. And Grace was leading them through her farmhouse just south of here. Well, the next thing she knew, she didn't know prisoners get transferred. They got transferred to other prisons. 
And before she knew it, there was a prisoner over there and a prisoner over there. And they were writing Grace saying, hey, Grace, help us. She said, you know, I'm not afraid of boys. I raised five. So I'm writing these boys and these are my boys. I went to have lunch with her one day and, 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 and I said, Grace, where do I put my coat? There's not a coat rack here anymore. There were filing cabinets and I pulled these filing. There were Bible lessons and, and there were files on all her boys. And, and I said, Grace, how many? She said, oh, there's hundreds now. I said, Grace, what in the world? She said, well, God's given me a ministry that looks like me. I love boys and I love scripture. And from my farmhouse, you know, I, she had one leg shorter than the other. She said, I can't get out real well, but I can sure write them letters. And I love these boys. I pray for them here all the time when I'm fixing food in my kitchen. I'm praying for my boys. One of her boys wrote to her and said uh, he was 53 years old. His wife lived in a, a foreign country and spoke Spanish. Um, he had gotten thrown in prison for, for something, but would she write to his wife? And, and she said, you know that I can do all things through Christ. Can you do it with me? Who strengthens me? She said, I prayed that prayer. And, and I said, Lord, I'm not enough. I need somebody else. There's got to be somebody who can help me. She said, I, I wrote a letter to him. Uh, and and, and I, I wrote it in Spanish. I said, how'd you do that? She said, I went and bought a Spanish dictionary and a Spanish Bible, and I tried to put some, I don't know if it made any sense, but I got a letter back. And then I said, Lord of the harvest, who can help me? And it was Clara, a retired Spanish teacher that came out. All I know is that as grace continued, one day I came in and there was a map, and there were dots all over that map. Then a year later, I called her from a singles conference I was speaking at, and grace said, Dwight, my kids have been at my house today. They're worried. There's only $4.13 in my bank account. She said, they've contacted me from the U.S. Postal Department downtown Marion and told me I have to put an industrial mailbox in front of my house because the mailman's tired of carrying all that mail up. I said, Grace, how many, how many, how many are you ministering to with daily Bible study lessons? She said, I got 15,573. She said, you know, I may not have enough money to bury myself, but souls will get to heaven, she said. And I could hear her just running around her house celebrating. That was a ministry that looked like grace. What's ministry that looks like you? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I have been watching for so long, whether it's Jason the coach or, or Steve the fly fisherman or Ryan the basketball player or Kyle the skateboarder. I've been watching what you've been doing through Scott, the, the company CEO or Linda, who, who's just a cleaning lady, but she takes those family pictures and prays over each one of them as she dusts off those counters and prays for those families in the homes that she's in. Lord, every day, we've got 166 hours in the week. We're not in a church building. What does ministry look like that looks like us when we're living a life of love? May we go out and discover our unique ministry and bring you glory and honor and bring your love to others. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.